Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Jason Blick from, uh, from EQI Bank. How are you doing, Jason? I'm great, Ronan. Great to speak to you. Thanks. Tell me a bit about your background. Yeah, uh, so I'm the CEO of uh, Equibank. Uh, we were established in 2015. Uh, we are the world's first global digital bank. Uh, we bank 180 countries around the world and focus on the innovation industries. And uh, how has that been going for you guys so far? It's a tremendous growth area. Uh, challenger banks, digital banks are very popular anyway, especially in Europe. Uh, we've added to that and added a global dimension and as a result of that, we are attracting not only a lot of attention, but uh, a significant backlog of clients. So we've certainly, we've certainly addressed the market need. So I guess your main focus is just the corporate area. Yes. Um, most challenger banks uh, are focused on the retail market. Um, we're a little different. We're one of the first, or if not the first, digital bank that focuses on the needs of corporates and high net worths. And tell me, what is the current state of play of digital banks and challenger banks? Certainly, digital banks have been growing uh, exponentially over the last uh, three or four years, uh, not only in terms of valuations and money raised, but in terms of core number of clients. You only need to look at groups like N26 uh, in Germany, which is now attracting over 10,000 new users uh, daily, predominantly based on word of mouth. Um, that's very much mirrored in the industry as a whole and the valuations of these, uh, of these challenger banks, many of whom are only three to four years old, has gone into the billions. So a very, very growth market. I guess the thing is for these new banks coming, coming into being, because they've got less overhead, they've got no physical property, bricks and mortar shops to deal with, overheads are a lot less. Yes, they are. Um, many of the challenger banks like ourselves are focused on pure client delivery, pure client services. So we've tried to cut out many of the somewhat unnecessary costs. Clients simply don't go into branches that often anymore, especially global banks. Uh, they don't necessarily handle physical cash anymore. You're not wandering down to your bank branch with large amounts of cash in a briefcase. And as a result of that, you can reduce many of the operating costs of banks and pass those savings directly to clients. And I guess one saving is because you've got no basic physical branches, you can have staff working 24-7 on your website that people can talk to. Yes, uh, we, have, we have staff available 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, and we operate in different time zones, so clients get access to qualified banking staff day or night. Uh, another distinct advantage over, over legacy or traditional banks where uh, after six o'clock everything comes to a close. And I guess also in the long term, you're aiming to have basically video conference calling where when, when a person is dealing with one of your, one of your bank employees, they're seeing their face that, they're, that they know is friendly and helpful. Absolutely. One of the complaints uh, of digital banks at the moment is it's not very personal. Um, so you've added efficiency into the market, but, uh, but removed some of that personal touch. We're doing things a little differently. So our clients are allocated a dedicated relationship manager in most instances. So they've got a person they build a relationship with while still having the efficiency of being 
a 100% digital bank. We are going to be bringing on video calling, et cetera, video conference calls to our conference center, uh, enabling clients to, to further um, develop that personal touch. And where is your, where are you based at the moment? Yeah, we're based uh, offshore in the, uh, in the Caribbean. And from our two locations, we bank over 180 countries across the world. And uh, obviously, that includes countries like, like Ireland as well. Uh, I guarantee, I guess, you're probably in most well-known big, most well-known countries. Yes, uh, we are finding about 40% of our client base is coming out of North America. Around 30% is coming out of Europe, and the remaining uh, in, uh, countries are uh, East uh, East Asia uh, and the Middle East. So yes, we have a, a wonderfully diverse section of uh, geographies, but the core client base remains quite similar throughout uh, um, uh, all those global markets. Why is digital banking so hard at the moment? Yeah, a lot of it's about those efficiencies. Clients uh, simply don't have the time uh, to be wandering into the bank branches. They're a little tired with paying the costs that uh, many traditional banks have to charge because of their own inefficiencies. So they're looking for new ways to bank. They predominantly want to bank on their tablet, on their cell phone, wherever they are in the world, 24 hours a day. And that's great for the retail clients, and that's what many of the European uh, digital banks are providing today. But what about the corporates? What about the high net worth individuals, etc.? And that's where we come in. So we can help corporates bank anything they need, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, from their cell phone, from their laptop, from their uh, um, mobile device just making the whole experience really, really seamless. And we're obviously doing a couple of things a little bit different as well. We have new products that are coming out that are really new for not only the challenger banks, but uh, traditional banks generally. We offer insured custody for digital assets, for example. So uh, many challenger banks are able to just do new stuff that traditional banks uh, simply aren't able to keep up with. Yeah, I guess like 20 and 30 years ago, if you wanted to uh, do any business actions with your bank, you had to go and do it in person. Now you can do it on your laptop or mobile device or tablet anytime you want. And that's how people live. Uh, we expect the same level of service from our bank as we do Uber. We want banking on demand. We don't need it to be complicated. We don't want it to be um, uh, terribly expensive. We, uh, we want it and we want it now and we want it uh, delivered effectively. And uh, the banks that are able to do that will, uh, will remain in play, will remain in business. And those that are not adapting to the ways that we expect to do business today are going to struggle. Yeah, and I guess for any customer using a bank like yourselves, they want to make sure that they always get a good customer service because if it's not that, that good, why would it stay with you guys? It has to be 100% about client service all the time, whether it's banking, uh, whether it's any other form of uh, digital uh, interchange. You've got to place the client at the very heart of your uh, undertaking. And I think many people feel banks have simply not done that in the past. Uh, in some instances, the traditional banks have taken clients for, for granted. Uh, they haven't had that many opportunities. They haven't had too many different uh, avenues. So the growth in the digital banking market is really giving choice back to the client. And also, I guess, if you were dealing with digital banks in the past, well, they had, if they had a, a website you could use, when you want to use it on a mobile device, it wouldn't look too good or appear very clunky and hard to use. Yes, um, I think it's fair to say most of the banks, uh, the traditional banks, are faced with distinct problems. They're, 
their legacy systems, uh, the IT systems that really support their infrastructure, are in many instances more than 40 years old. I mean, some of these systems are pre-internet, big mainframe um, data rooms and data centers. Uh, and it's very difficult to migrate those onto uh, mobile banking apps, onto digital front ends. Uh, and in some instances, it represents a huge risk for the bank, uh, as we saw a couple of years ago in the UK with, uh, with TSB. So uh, people have to be extremely careful when, uh, when they're trying to migrate massive infrastructure from traditional banks into what clients are requiring today which is 24 by seven uh, connectivity. And the other thing is, if you use an old system that's based on COBOL, which is line was not used much anymore, how do you get the staff, people that can actually work with that? It's hard. That's a great question. There is now a very niche market actually um, uh, for, for, for people, professionals in COBOL and others that are in their 50s, 60s, and in some instance 70s, because those are the only guys that are actually still well-versed and qualified to program in that language. Um, so it's something of a, a dying art in many respects. And uh, with it being the absolute core architectural needs of these old banks, at some point, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, I did it years ago in college in the early 90s, and I was told that COBOL is important to banks. And when you go to an ATM machine, it's, it's COBOL is running it. And said, COBOL will never die. But slowly, it's, it's been phased out because it doesn't work well on the new digital age. Yep, many of the technologies, whether it's in banking or whether it's in transport or whether it's in, in, in entertainment, have changed. Nothing is likely to remain static. And I think in some instances, traditional banks have, have just presumed that they can continue uh, as they always have. And what we're seeing is that the client is expecting, if not demanding, something different, something more contemporary, something more cutting edge. And that's why uh, challenger banks like, uh, like Equi are uh, on a huge drive. Well, I guess you realize that the customer is king. And what the customer wants the customer gets. So if you're offering them a service that is old and, and, and doesn't work that well, why would they still use it? Absolutely. And uh, we, all, we need to remember, this is the client's money. It's customer money. Uh, it should never be taken for granted. It should always be well secured, well protected, and should be available 24 hours a day when a client needs it. Uh, it's really banking on a client's terms, not, uh, not a bank's. Because I can remember when you go to the bank years ago, the bank would say, we're only open basically 9 or 4, 10 or 4, and after that, that's it. Whereas now you have to uh, realize your clients are a big friend of all, their lives now evolved, that the people who work in uh, longer hours and need to access the, the bank because of that. Yes, and, and, and for the corporates of the world, which are the predominant client base for us, that's a major problem. Uh, it's not unusual for some banks to offer T plus two, T plus three for clearing money. That means that someone is holding on to your money for two, three, four, five days, impacting sellers, impacting buyers, etc. There are quicker and more efficient ways to do this. So we try and make sure or we try and promote uh, clearing uh, same day or next day in many instances, driving massive efficiency for corporates. Because I remember years ago when you went to back and, and put a check in your account, it might take a, a, a week to cash. And during that week, that bank is earning interest on, on, on your check. Yeah, yes, indeed. And it's the same instance today with wires. Uh, banking technology still revolves around uh, a fairly antiquated consortium called SWIFT. And SWIFT hasn't really evolved in, in several de uh, in de uh, decades. 
there are some great new initiatives to speed up the way in which we uh, we do settle monies, including stable coins and, uh, and DLT technology. And that's coming along enormously because clients expect it. You can't explain to a corporate client who's doing major business across the world, the bank is going to hold on to your money for three to four days uh, until either you get paid or your, your, your vendor gets paid, etc. Uh, those timelines are no longer acceptable. But thankfully, the market is really listening. Uh, there are great technologists and there are great banks that are really working together to speed up the entire global trade process. But then that is with banking, when the money goes in the, in the account, into your accounts, within about a, probably a day or two, it's been taken out again and used to pay off clients or pay wages. And if you're, if you're waiting a week, to, week for the money to come into your accounts, that's a long time in business. Cash flow is king for every business, as every business leader and every entrepreneur will tell you. The quicker your partner bank can turn around the money, the quicker that it can get the monies into your account and get your vendors support paid, uh, the easier it is for you, the better reputation. And ultimately, it drives success, it drives P&Ls. So uh, we hope to be very much the vanguard of that process and deliver a quicker, cheaper um, banking service to all our corporates. Now, how do you see the future of digital assets with regards to banking and the, and the traditional financial world? Mainly, I suppose, maybe crypto, for example. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's one of scale, really. Uh, at the moment, the global banking industry is worth approximately $153 trillion. It's one of the biggest industries in the entire world. Crypto is an extremely important industry. It's up to, what, $270, $280 billion now. But in the grand scheme of banking, it's relatively small. Traditional bankers look at digital assets and crypto with some skepticism. They, they have particular concerns about AML uh, and KYC risk associated with wallets and coins, etc. cetera. Uh, banks are getting up to speed. They are making improvements. It's certainly better than it was a year ago, and it's, uh, it's materially better uh, than it was two years ago. But there are improvements that need to be made. Not only in terms of the way that banks deal with crypto, uh, i.e. being willing to accept clients that trade in crypto or indeed make their, their business around blockchain and DLT, uh, but uh, also the efficiency in which they offer services for crypto. Uh, Ekibank is one of the few banks in the world uh, that accepts cryptocurrency uh, and works with those that are in those, uh, those innovative industries. And, and you'll probably find that many other banks will come along uh, and start to do the same thing over the next few years. I guess for you guys, uh, the problem in my face is which cryptocurrencies do you accept and not accept? Absolutely. There are concerns clearly about coins that are completely secret in nature, where there is no transparency into their origin, mining, or which wallets they have been in and out of. Those kind of coins represent an unsustainable risk for most financial institutions because they can be used for nefarious uh, purposes. The more established coins, the Bitcoins, the ETH of the world, etc., have now received pretty much standard um, uh, approval from compliance and KYC regulators across the world who believe that with appropriate care, uh, these, uh, these asset and currency types can be used in traditional financial services and have a part to play. And we very much agree with that. And I guess you're looking forward to seeing Libra, the new Facebook currency as well. 
I think any of the initiatives by the tech giants are, 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 are fantastic. They're providing a testing field for great innovation. We're already working with clients that are showing a lot of interest in Libra. We're working with people that are part of uh, the Libra Association. And uh, there are many others, many others that are coming out, uh, not only in the, in the tech world, but within the banking environment as well. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, playing field over the next uh, two to five years. And I guess because basically the technology to do all this is available in Pemberhan, i.e. I, a mobile device, it's going to make it more adaptable as well. Banking is going to change the way that we uh, undertake payment systems. Uh, and the way that we address financial services industry is all going to change. People are very compelled by the, um, uh, by the speed and efficiency of, uh, of uh, cryptocurrencies, the ability to settle and clear uh, in, in a, an increasingly respected currency such as Bitcoin, is starting to make the banks evolve and improve. And indeed, regulators are looking at ways that they can improve their domestic payment system. So the Fed in the United States is promising to materially increase it's uh, clearing and settlement timing because of the pressure and innovation in uh, the digital asset and crypto space. So there are many, many positive things that come out of uh, this disruption. Um, and it's really, uh, it's really moving things along. Well, so much disruption is good because it, it makes uh, an industry that's been, been run for years adopt and change or to die, like Darwinism. Like, for example, if you look at cars now, in about 20 years' time, it's all going to be electric cars. Disruption is, 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 is inherent in every, every innovation we've seen, whether it's transport, entertainment, banking, etc. And with disruption comes um, some, some period of, of complexity uh, and changing of the, uh, of the old guard. Uh, that's a healthy process. It, it, it's a natural part of commercial evolution. And um, basically, it's do or die for many banks and financial services guys. Are you going to get on board? Are you going to start improving your service to clients? Are you going to start improving very, uh, very, very unique service deliverables? Are you going to start uh, offering new products and services like uh, Equibank does in order to meet the genuine needs of your client base? I can remember 20 years ago when Napstar was basically becoming king and, and people were downloading music online. And music industry didn't realize this was going to be the new way of doing things. And then iTunes came along with Steve Jobs, and he more or less told, the, told these, these people in the rec companies, if you don't adapt, you're going to die. And that to change. And I think with banking, it's going to be the exact same. If you don't adapt and change, you're going to die. That's very much we believe. Uh, we believe that clients expect to be banking globally, not locally, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's banking on demand. It's banking when the client wants it and on terms that the client wants as well. Uh, also, we believe that banks are going to have to start to become partners of your business. You know, why can't bank be a, banks be a revenue driver for you? We work with, with fintechs and other startup banks to enable them to use our APIs and systems to launch their own product sets, to launch their, their own um, uh, services for their clients. And that's the way in which banking is going to have to evolve. Uh, and it provides an extraordinarily exciting opportunity for young innovators and established companies to really start taking a bite out of what was uh, traditionally a very protected industry, a very closed industry. Um, and Europe is definitely leading the way in that regard. Remember years ago, if you were with a bank and you wanted to use some of the APIs, the bank wouldn't let you near that because they, they said, no, 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 that stays with us. 
now they've had to more or less give that away because they have to survive to do it. And it's great to see that. Yep, e- e- the EU was very much the leader of that uh, a few years ago. And what we're starting to see, either through regulatory change or through industry focus, other, other regulators are, are doing the same thing. And this is a good thing. Uh, banks have had monopolies in certain areas for many, many years. And in many instances, for the right reasons. You need an established and a proven bank like Equibank when you need uh, somebody to hold your monies, whether it's traditional currencies or whether it's digital assets, and and we custody digital assets. But similarly, there are elements of banking that can be done by other fintechs, and in some instances, they can be done better, frankly. And we've seen a lot of that, especially in payment processing, where the the move into into the marketplace by TransferWise and others has added efficiencies to clients, and in some instances, corporates, and that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I also noticed recently as well that I've now seen banks uh, do hackathons where they offer their APIs to fintechs to try and see what they can do over a weekend. And that to me is great because it's showing that they're believing the future is basically online and uh, tech-based. We did something very similar, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think there are a couple of messages that sent into the market. First of all, that banks are accessible. You know, we're here to listen. We're not here just to, to lecture, as some of the old traditional banks have done. We're here to work with you, and we encourage innovation, and we, 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 we want to work in new and different ways. And yes, the industry, the, um, especially in distributive industries, has a lot uh, a lot to give. They're massive experience, and if we can partner with them on such things as cybersecurity, etc., um, then uh, it's a partnership that equals stability and uh, and long-term client asset protection. And also, meaning you're probably getting the, the best brains in the business to work with, work with you as well. That always helps. Yeah, and those were hackathons in the past. People have been involved for guys that. In reality, you'd hire an instant because they were doing great things you didn't think of because they got to the box. They're not thinking in the banking mind as such. Indeed, and I think in many instances, uh, banks have been seen as the enemy, uh, particularly for young programmers or for those in disruptive industries or those that are 100% focused on um, uh, innovation such as crypto. Um, the banks that are starting to evolve and, and are recognizing that these, uh, these industries and these sectors have a part in the whole ecosystem are reaching out and saying, hey, guys, use your skills. Use our, your skills to improve our, our security. Use your skills to improve some of our underlying programming and coding. And uh, we know for a fact that there are many programmers that are finding that kind of approach Quite exciting. They're interested to, to get inside a, 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 a financial services ecosystem and see how they can have a part to play. So we want to be uh, very inclusive. And I guess basically these guys can tell you in instantly or in a few minutes or whatever, any flaws they might notice you would have missed. Absolutely. And we discussed it earlier on. Uh, if you have a banking system or a, an ATM system based on, on Cobalt, um, you're highly unlikely to be able to keep up with, uh, with the coding needs, requirements, and programming of guys that are doing very, very innovative stuff. Now, lots of things have changed. And uh, by being approachable, by encouraging these coders to come and work with you, you, you can do some very, very fun stuff. And, and we certainly are. We're experimenting with a variety of products and models uh, designed really around the needs of fintechs and it's giving rise to some, some very, very cool sandbox uh, products. And also, I guess, as well as 
the technology people use to access it is cheaper than it used to be. Years ago, to buy a computer, you couldn't afford one. Now, a hundred years or dollars can buy you a mobile phone that can do all that. Yep, and uh, open source systems, etc., have replaced many, many of these proprietary structures and models over the last 15 years or so. So you can, you can add a massive efficiency. You can create something truly unique that adds value for the banking environment or any other environment with extremely modest uh, resources. So it's more about what the individual coders can do, what the individual fintechs can do, uh, rather than requiring multi-billion dollar um, reserves to change entire um, banking systems and, and, uh, and an industry. So the move away from proprietary structures is a good thing. Uh, we're a big, big advocate of open APIs and open banking standards. Uh, we'll be launching a series of, uh, of, of accessible tools to, to deal with both and then really encouraging fintechs to partner with us. We are a bank that partners with you and those banks that maintain that mentality I think are going to succeed. Yeah, because I think you, by using open APIs and using open source software, if you have any problems, you can easily find it, Google it online and find out how to fix it. Because it becomes part of a bigger environment. It becomes a, an open community. And uh, we've seen time and time again that uh, proprietary structures, no longer working technology, uh, open and transparent environments are the ones that uh, innovators like to work with. Uh, and gives rise to, to new and challenging ways of, of doing business um, and uh, enhanced efficiency. So our, our perfect environment is that we work with our clients, we partner with our clients, we bank our clients, um, and uh, we develop a very, very, very interactive ecosystem. So a completely different way in which uh, many traditional banks work and operate. Yeah, and I guess by telling them we're always going to be innovation first, the latest technologies that are available, you'll be getting to use as well because we're going to be using them as well. Yes, uh, our CTO often jokes that uh, we, Equibank, is a, is a technology company that just happens to do banking. And I absolutely believe that's going to be the case. Uh, technology equals, in most instances, innovation. And banking is no different to any other environment. It needs innovation. People expect it. And uh, we very much hope uh, to maintain our, our leadership position. You know, I, I, I right now see any company in the world, I feed them as tech coach. Because I'm McDonald's. If you go to McDonald's now, years ago you went to McDonald's, you went up to queue at a, at a till to get served. Now you go and there's a touch screen and you, and you use that to order your foods. It's all tech based. And there are tech companies that offers food like your tech company that, that offers banking. It's exactly the same process. We all used to stand up uh, waiting for the cashier to, to, to see us. It's exactly the same as McDonald's. Um, and uh, whether it's food, whether it's transport, or whether it's banking, um, those companies that evolve will succeed. Those that are very much stuck on legacy systems or, frankly, can't change uh, because it is too expensive for them to change are unlikely to be able to survive. Um, uh, that's what uh, that's what innovation and um, uh, new sort of ways of doing business are all about. And getting back to uh, offshore banking, who banks offshore and what challenges they're facing? Yes, certainly. So uh, there are approximately thirty-two trillion dollars held um, offshore. Uh, indeed, the Fortune five hundred banks hold over uh, two point six trillion dollars offshore. And the offshore world is very much a center for investment. It's a way to ensure that money can be distributed 
amongst countries and subsidiaries across the world. Um, and people have always had a, a level of uh, or a sense of protection about holding their money uh, in an offshore environment. The reasons for that are, are, are manifold, and we only need to look at Hong Kong, one of the leading financial centers of the world. A lot of clients are coming to us uh, from Hong Kong at the moment because they're concerned. They're concerned about what's going on there uh, and whether it's political difficulty or economic difficulty or just challenges in doing business in a particular environment. Being able to bank offshore means that you can work global, you can bank global, and provide you with the highest level of protection for your capital. And I guess also when you're dealing with the new uh, thing in the world, Brexit, you're gonna, that's going to be a problem. You're going to have people coming to you because they're not sure how it's going to work in the UK. There is uncertainty. Uh, many of our, our clients are, are based in London. And uh, what they're saying is they, they simply face uncertainty. What is going to happen? And if you've got clients in the financial center like uh, uh, London or indeed Dublin coming to you and saying this, then you know that there's a continued and ongoing need for leading offshore banks to provide that level of assurance to say to clients, you are protected, you are safe, whatever may happen in your national environment, you know your money is safe, you know your capital is safe, and you know that you're going to be able to continue to do business. Uh, and, also, and also, you're complying with the uh, regulations as well. Absolutely. All leading banks around the world and all leading um, uh, jurisdictions are both factor and CRS compliant. Uh, we are on every, every whitelist. Um, and reputable jurisdictions are able to provide very, very good global banking, global financial services from a single hub, um, giving, giving clients very superior facilities, whether it's from lending and credit, better foreign exchange services, better ways to, to finance and manage your international investment and business. Um, so uh, we, we are the first uh, digital offshore bank as far as we know. And we are certainly changing that, uh, that industry and giving clients better protection and better service. And I guess along with that continue in the next five years, I can see you grow even more and more and more. Yes, uh, we, we currently have a, an extremely substantial backlog of clients. Um, uh, we have, uh, in essence, met all of our 2019 goals already, so we couldn't be more happy. And uh, really, we're looking for scale. We're looking at making sure that we're able to offer more products quicker, faster, and cheaper for more clients anywhere in the world. And I guess because basically, this model is basically online, it's easier to scale. Yeah, we, we don't have many of the problems that existing banks have faced. We have one single technology stack. We are cloud-based. We are digital only. So we're able to scale exponentially. And by operating out of one core jurisdiction, it means that uh, we don't have the complexity of operating little subsidiaries in 40 or 50 countries around the world with different capital requirements, different regulatory structures. And, you know, all of those costs are passed directly on to the client, which in some instances can be exorbitant. So for us, we are simple, we are global, we are scalable, and uh, we pass on all of those costs and savings to our clients. Yeah, and I guess if you're like a, a bank starting today and, and you're bricks and mortar based, going into a new territory, you got to spend time to find the right premises that you can do it from, and hopefully the premises you have is, is going to be enough that if you scale up, you have enough room for, you, for new staff, et cetera. Whereas with you guys, because you're online based, that's never an issue. 
Indeed. Uh, I mean, ultimately, when banks are going on major expansions and major uh, in-country uh, growth, uh, they're using other people's money. They're using the margins and profits from the services that they have sold. Uh, and these costs are extraordinary. Uh, you only need to look at the uh, cost-to-income ratio of some of the biggest banks in Europe to see that these models are not sustainable. It's not a fair way to deliver a service. Um, why should I pay for a bank that wants to uh, open up branches in 30, 40, or, or, or maintain branches in 30, 40 countries when the clients don't need it anymore? They see it as an unnecessary cost. Um, and uh, we're very much uh, a supporter of that. That isn't to say that having that personal touch in some environments is critical. We're opening in Europe and we expect to open in the US as well. But they're small and controlled in uh, cost centers, uh, really supporting our single unified global um, platform. Yeah, I guess because you're going to be basically in smaller areas, like small building, you don't have to worry about, about we'll need more staff because you've, you've figured exactly where you're going to be within five years' time. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to scale up, You've got the facilities to do that. You don't have to worry about getting another building or another premises. Yes, or another data center or another mainframe system or trying to migrate some of these systems so they can talk to one another. All of those things have absolutely extraordinary cost implications. So banks that are launching now, such as other leading challenger banks, um, are, are able to offer scale costs and, 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 and price structures that reflect their efficiency. And uh, that can only be a good thing. And I guess with the cloud as well, you can scale up and down according to your clients' needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we're able to provide a huge multitude of, of currencies and uh, products and services. So whether it's corporate accounts, staff accounts, credit cards, uh, debit cards, all leading challenger banks can really move and evolve pretty quickly, certainly much quicker than, than some of the siloed operations of existing banks. For example, in some instances, traditional banks have one department for onboarding of clients and opening accounts. They've got a completely separate division for card services and a completely separate one for investments and a completely separate one for loans. So these guys have to talk to each other in a really efficient way, which often doesn't happen. For us, you have one relationship manager. So you don't need to run around um, uh, between many different parties trying to achieve fairly simple things. And that's what clients expect. Okay, thanks so much for that, uh, uh, for that uh, uh, great conversation. And uh, good luck in the future, Jason, and uh, have a great day. And thanks so much for that. Thank you, Ronan. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.